0: Hello, this is Future PMC. We are releasing episodes to the main feed of Radio Free Mercury, our patron-exclusive podcast series, which was covering The Witcher Mercury on a week-to-week basis as it aired. This week, we're releasing our discussion on episode 5. This podcast was originally published over on our patron feed on November 2nd, 2022. If you want access to the rest of the Radio Free Mercury episodes, that is, episodes 6 through 12, you can go ahead and subscribe at the five dollar level over on our patreon patreon.com slash giant while we're waiting for new episodes of the witch from mercury to start in april we will be releasing twice a month episodes covering turn a gundam a series that we're going to call moon race wireless now enjoy the episode
1: This is Giant Robot FM, your home of all things Mecha, be it Giant or otherwise. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We are recording this on a very spooky day. It is All Hallows... Is All Hallows Eve the day before Halloween? Correct?
0: Well, I think it's the eve... uh, All Hallows Eve, I thought, was the eve of uh, All Saints Day, which is November 1st. I didn't think
1: that went through. I just let it. I shot from the hip there. I feel
0: like I'm immediately being being put on the spot here, uh, having to fire off, uh, you know, uh, Catholic heritage questions. But you know, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm willing to step in. It's it's the right time of I year should for know. it.
1: Like <laughs> yeah. my my, uh, my forebears are looking down uh, <laughs> disgracefully on me. But of course, we are back for a patron exclusive radio free Mercury episode. I'm here virtually, as always, with PMC, my good dear friend and co host PMC. How are you? I'm doing well.
0: How you, know, Stephen? How are you? Are you surviving uh,
1: these spooky times? I am. Uh, my house is angled at a very spooky and awkward position in my neighborhood, so I have yet to. I've lived in this house for three years. I have yet to get any trick or treaters. Oh, I'm sorry. And cu- currently, looking at the clock, it's eight. It's eight seventeen right now. Zero. That record has not been broken. No trick or treaters. So we won't have any like awkward dog interruptions as my mm-hmm. dog furiously barks at any costumed visitors. Have you ever? Did you have any trick or treaters? I had about two dozen. Um, actually, oh, my wow. my is here in here in uh, we're both you know we're
0: both uh, in New Jersey, and my town's actually somewhat famous for trick or treating, but not my area of town. I only had about two dozen. My understanding is that hundreds of pieces of candy get handed out on the other side of town.
1: Mm. Yeah, to really date this podcast, uh, the Phillies are playing a very important <laughs> game, and I say that as someone clearly who is not tuned into baseball. We should could just tell.
0: We should, probably, we should probably move on to the topic of our podcast because Steven is such an in-depth fan of baseball that he does not know that there is actually a rain delay for tonight and that game is being played tomorrow.
1: Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say they lost us. Like, fuck, that was quick. No, 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 no. Anyway. All right. But we, of we are course, are not alone. We are joined by brand new guest, special guest, Tanuki Type. Tanuki,
2: welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone. And thank you for inviting me on. Thank you for coming on. So right off the bat, I want you to promote yourself, Tanuki.
1: How did... PMC is the one who actually reached out to you, but I, I of course, checked out your stuff. A lot of cool videos, a lot of cool streaming. Promote yourself. What have you been up to? Like, how did you make a home on the internet? And what, what do you specialize in?
2: Well, I've been making videos for like the past 10 years, but, you know, I used to do it really casually when I was a kid. And I've been streaming for about three or four years now. But specifically, I got to know PMC through picking up Journey to Jabra on PS2 to speedrun as just a fun side thing. But, in terms of what would be the most relevant to your audience, I do have a Gundam-specific, it's really like Mecha-themed channel, but so far it's pretty much just been Gundam. I have a Gundam channel called Tanuki Type, and then I also have a Twitch channel of the same name in which I stream a lot of fighting games, but also Gundam Evolution. I've been having a lot of fun with that Mm. game lately as well. And I have a bunch of other miscellaneous links as well, so I'll just give you guys the link tree for that. Awesome. Do you have a favorite uh, Gundam Evolution suit that you play? Okay, my favorite is the gym, but I play the gun tank way more because the gym feels like so much more of a niche specific pick. And the gym or the the gun tank is just so good and he's kind of brain dead to use and I'm able to put in so much more work with the gun tank. So I play the gun tank, but then every now and then on mommy's hooky day, I get to play the gym if we're we're like winning really hard Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter who I play or if it's like a specific area in a defense map where the C4 helps quite a bit or if my team doesn't have a Sazavi and we need a shield, etc.
0: Were you like an Overwatch player before coming to Evolution or are you new to this kind of game?
2: Very casually. My brother played Overwatch a lot more than me. I did start playing Overwatch like about three months after it came out. And I stopped playing when Hammond was the newest character, the the hamster and the baseball. yeah. I was gonna
0: say I, I I was like that's probably the hamster ball, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I played it a, a lot in beta, and then I think I think I fell off it before, well before Hammond. I think it was maybe the character before that that I stopped playing. Um, but you know, it was certainly fun. Yeah. I, I, it was very fun when it came. I played a lot of support like Lucio and stuff like that.
2: I'm really liking Gundam Evolution a lot more, even though that's full bias because I like the Gundam stuff. My only gripe with the game is the monetization, mm. how they're handling that. I'm planning on making a video regarding that, but I kind of want to give them a bit of a chance to sort of change it before I critique them really hard.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, it, those games change all the time, you know? It's it's yeah. it's sort of the... I mean, it is what it is, right? Game, game as a service. Have you been playing it? No, I am... <laughs> you know i'm i'm an old curmudgeon you can probably guess this right you discovered discovered me through speed running a ps2 game from 2001 um <laughs> you know i've been just very focused and and lately i've had a lot of good reasons i'm gonna i'm gonna segue this into promoting myself so please please forgive me but you know right now I, i've got to get ready for uh for awesome games on quick 2023 because oh, yeah I got, good luck with that i got armored core project phantasma uh, into that event first time armored core will be in the mainline gdq it's very exciting so yeah no thank you for the for the good luck uh, but no i'm i gotta stay away from the,
2: from the online oh, games yeah.
0: right now i gotta are we gotta allowed to talk about coming.
2: leaks on here like video game related leaks oh yeah 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 we're not yeah. i don't think we're concerned okay. about whether or not something's have, you, have you seen the FromSoft leaks about mm. the Armored core they're working on yeah, we've I think we yeah I think we talked about that because that, that was like earlier this year right oh, that, okay I don't need I don't need you to retread the same topic then I was just okay. wondering if you no, saw no that.
0: no I mean yeah we have seen it um, and we're certainly very interested in
2: if that's true we hope that's true uh knowing how many games rip off Dark Souls I'm mm-hmm. so excited for when the new armored core comes out because then we're going to get a whole onslaught of mech games because all these other developers are going to rip off armored core when that is The new thing, since they have such a track record of ripping off FromSoft games. Oh,
0: I would love that. If FromSoft could create a trend that everyone mimicked. Yeah. That would be beautiful.
1: My local uh, mom and pop video game shop, our local mom and pop video game shop, just got a copy of the first Echo Night in for PlayStation. And it's been on my mind since this morning, but I'm too afraid to reach out to the owner whom I know and ask him what the ridiculous price tag is on that. Like I have $40 in store credit there, but I'm going to guessing it's like going to be like 500 bucks
0: first echo Knight that
1: rare i i know i mean i know that i did a quick i did a quick amazon search okay. so th- those are th- those prices are always inflated slightly so i'm guessing it's going between 350 and 450 at the store
0: damn
1: which i even me who's known to make some obscene purchases <laughs> from time to time uh will not bite the bullet on tanuki i actually had a question for you you mentioned gyms and i know i saw some of your videos uh some you had some you have some cuckoo's dome content on there do you have an opinion on slager laws gym like the design of it because we have some strong we had some strong words on the podcast about it
2: is his gym a different design oh yeah it's got like a different coloring and
1: everything it's got like a special emblem on the
0: chest and everything apparently they're releasing a specific model kit for it i think in january right Stephen?
2: yeah a little p bandai action is it like this in the original series or is this just Doan's island i believe this is for dones island just the movie oh, okay yeah that would make more sense yeah i think it looks cool we we, are, we were not warm. Up. That's why I, I was trying to list like an angry take from you, Tanuki, but it's all right. You don't like it?
1: Nah, it's a little too. The colors are very jarring, a little too
2: ostentatious. The emblems. Well, I like, would say it is fitting for the character. Oh, yeah. True. <laughs> In that case. That is correct. We, no, we, no, that's we correct. We did mention that. I actually had a question about Doan's Island, but I don't know if you want to talk about that since we're talking about Witch for Mercury. Yeah, I, I would. we can do a quick Doan's
0: Island question before we
2: settle okay, into this. Doan's yeah. Island, based on. The origin manga, because Mm -hmm. I was expecting it to be something that would take place at the same time as the original episode, and then I was getting confused about when Slugger Law shows up, because I know that Slugger Law in the original series shows up way later, but he's already part of the crew in the movie, and there are some other weird differences about the logistics of where they're going at what time, so I eventually just assumed that this must be consistent with the origin manga, is that right?
1: So this is a question I'm especially equipped to answer. Um, Yasuhiko, the creator of Dones Island, the uh, 2022 feature film, he stated explicitly that he... So he was given the option um, to attach the subtitle, the origin, to the title of it, but he explicitly wanted to make Cuckoo Stone's Island, its own thing, and he wanted to be more in conversation with First Gundam than with Origin, even though, of course, the aesthetics are very similar to the Origin, as well as the storytelling um, trappings. Uh, The the easiest answer is it takes place in a universe in and of itself, because, of course, there are continuity differences uh, with First Gundam and the Origin, which makes it incongruent with those timelines, Um, but, I guess, so, no, neither timeline nor is it a remake or a uh, continuation of the dones island manga if you know anything about that
2: yeah okay
0: yeah it's not a very satisfying answer because but i mean i would say that a lot of the details like some of the ones you mentioned like Sliger law is present ryu jose is not uh things like that right i i think it makes it more congruent with the origin manga but there are still issues so i i you know that's the official answer is it's I kind own. of wish
2: there was a little preface at the beginning of the <laughs> movie or something because I went into theater, so I was super excited, and, and then I was immediately gaslighted into thinking Slugger Law actually shows up earlier than he does in the original show, and I couldn't really stop thinking about that the mm-hmm. whole time. It,
1: With it the is exception weird. of
2: of Slagger Law, it probably it fits very
1: nicely into the origin timeline because uh, what's go- that's why it takes place in the Canary Islands
2: because of what is going down in Gibraltar in that uh, version. Yeah, of I the had first to I album. had to put in my blu-rays of the original and i kept trying to pinpoint when certain events would happen to see if things lined <laughs> up because slugger law could easily get retconned into showing up and joining the crew earlier because he just shows up in job row, right and he doesn't really do anything story relevant until they go into space mm-hmm. so they could have definitely retconned him into just showing up earlier right but some of the other things like i said about the logistics of when and where they're going where they're supposed to meet up with earth federation before operation odessa etc yeah definitely
1: looking, trying to make sense of the timeline or logistics in first him is always, uh, always a risky maneuver. Oh
2: yeah, I didn't mean to derail the. Oh no, no, don't
0: no, worry. no, no
2: so uh, early. <laughs>
0: honestly, it's it's worth considering because it, it's messy, and there, you know, we kind of wish there were clear answers. You know, oftentimes the origin, I think, is a satisfying read because it feels more coherent, but. You know, but now, now, now we have this movie right, which is which is
2: not really fitting in neatly. But yeah, I don't know. That's, something that's I've become something I've become convinced of over the years is that I don't think creators care at all about what's canon versus what isn't. I think only the fans really care about yep. that kind of stuff, and creators just want to make a cool story.
1: Agree. Yeah, largely agree. Yes. All right. I could go on a spiel about canon, but instead I'm going to ask you, Tanuki, what are your thoughts about Witch for Mercury? We are now five episodes into the first core, roughly a month into the show. Um, We're going to have
2: new episodes up until the end of December. I'm going to do a temperature check. How are you feeling about it? I do like it. However, I'm very hesitant about how long we're going to be married to this school setting. Because in Mm. general, I'm not really a fan of school settings, even though... I think how they've been doing it thus far is okay because there have been very little tropey school antics which it could easily fall into because it's mostly been about the duels that happen outside of class time, right? I keep on expecting some kind of bomb or something to attack the school and then they're all forced to go outside and hang out on a ship or something, a la the White Base, right? That's how I kept predicting it to go. And I kept thinking that by episode five, something like that would happen. But because something like that hasn't happened yet, I'm wondering if we really are going to stick with the school setting for a while. That thought is also on my
1: mind. I'm very fond of the school shenanigans and actually want a little bit more of it, but I can definitely respect that take. Tanuki, do you have like a history with AU Gundam? Like, do you have a favorite non-UC Gundam TV show? Favorite a la-
2: non-UC would be After War Gundam X. Okay. Super, super underrated. I think that has the best characters, the best written, and most believable, and most nuanced characters of all of Gundam. Because even though I love UC, I think we can all agree that the character writing is sometimes a little bit weird, maybe a little bit inconsistent.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you get you get you know all if you have a flavor of char that you want, you can probably find it.
1: Oh yeah. Definitely agree with that take. We are uh, we are fans of Tomino, but we. Are not shy about criticizing his inconsistent writing.
2: Oh yeah, he's a very interesting person to talk about.
1: <laughs> Do you have um, a? You, did you grow up with Gundam Wing? Not to explicitly age you, but PMC and I grew up in the early 2000s together, and we're watching Wing week to week. Yeah,
2: I'm also a 2000s kid, but I think I have a unique history with it because my first exposure to Gundam was actually Superior Defender Gundam Force, that SD SDTV mm. show. And of course that show is like some kind of anniversary year celebration, so it's chock full of all of these references and homages to other series that of course went over my head when I first watched it, Uh, but I loved it at the time, right? And then I actually saw Gundam Wing after that, and I realized like, whoa, they're not just fully autonomous speaking robots, they're actually things you can drive and pilot that have normal proportions. And then... of course, later, when I was able to start watching anime, like, on my laptop, like, around, like, middle school, high school, that's when I was able to start watching complete series on things like Crunchyroll rather than just mm-hmm. watching whatever's on TV at the time. And so then I kind of got back into Gundam with double O that way. And then, of course, went down the whole UC rabbit hole shortly after. Very cool. Yeah, that SD Gundam show's weird because I haven't thought about it in a while. I, I actually think a- it's funny. I went back and rewatched some of the episodes because someone on YouTube has them all posted. Mm-hmm. And... It's always so validating when I go back and watch something that I loved as a kid and I still like it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've been watching a lot of Cars against my will because my daughter, uh, who is almost two years old, is obsessed with the new Disney Plus show Cars on the Road. She's oh, dude, why,
2: t- are we, why are we even talking about Gundam? Cars, the Cars universe <laughs> is so much more fascinating
1: and confusing
2: <laughs> than anything Gundam.
1: I know, trust me, I, I, I've gone on many uh, wiki deep dives, because in one of the episodes of Cars on the Road, Mater dies. Mater literally dies, <laughs> and he's interacting with an angel car,
2: which brings in a whole bunch of questions The world about, building is so loaded. Yeah. Do the riders realize what they are doing when they decide to write anything into canon,
1: and uh, and then PMC like whispered in my ear virtually, uh, isn't SD Gundam just cars, but in for Gundam, and yeah, kind of right. I always thought it had kind of a Mega Man vibe. Mm-hmm. It, it is very of the time, like uh, Mega Man.exe Battle Network for my less pretentious listeners out there. But they were all yeah. that was all like swirling in the same soup at the same time in the early two thousands. Awesome. Well, I. I I think we're ready to jump into the episode proper, episode 5 of Witch from Mercury, Reflection of an Icy Eye. Now, interestingly, every time I start these summaries, I mention that this episode began immediately where the last episode left off. Episode 5 breaks from this tradition. It does not immediately pick up from the last episode. Instead, we open on an artificial desert battlefield where Alan is engaged in a duel against three members of House Daigo. Apparently, Elan was challenged, and to the surprise of his peers, he accepted. Even though they have the advantage of numbers, Osh, Wume, and their unnamed companion are dispatched by Elan with ease. All right, so Can I Elon- interject
2: here? Of course. Or you say with ease. Did anyone else find it a little cartoonishly convenient? That he shot off a fin from that far away, and then the mobile suit whose fin was shot off turned and then shot his partner's fin off.
0: Yeah, that was a really interesting maneuver. I, I've been really sort of impressed with the variety of ways mobile suits are dispatched in this show.
2: You know, it's there's not, no way he could have planned for that though. He just got lucky, right? Oh, I th-
0: I think so. I think he got lucky. The the other thing I would say about this scene, maybe this is related, uh, just to connect them, is. It's very interesting to me that we see Alan do this maneuver with the G forces because I think right up front they are setting up this idea of him, you know, being superhuman in some way, of being before enhanced. we before
2: we keep talking about yep. Alan in this episode, can I ask you guys what you thought about Alan thus far because I don't think I ever mentioned him once in any of my episode reviews thus far because he's literally just there. He hasn't really done anything yet. He's just a kudore that just stands around.
0: Yeah, I think the only time he really got talked about was maybe when he brought the food to Soleta in episode two. Yeah, it didn't really
2: affect anything
0: story-wise, though. It it didn't really end up... um, I mean, unless this is the fruit that it bore, that interaction, you know, this episode... uh, But at the time, you know, the fact that it wasn't brought up again in episodes three and four kind of suggested to me that, like, okay, it's not really an issue... Uh, so yeah you know he just kind of seemed like an archetype right like the yeah i was
1: completely neutral on him because there was
2: nothing really to have an opinion about
1: yeah he's an archetype who i don't usually vibe with so i did not really have too many notes on him and i knew of course we're going to get more information about his characterization and backstory later in the show so i kind of reserved my opinions although here we we are right (laughs) it's true we definitely got some. Uh, this is a lawn focused episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we jump in, though, to Alan specifically, let's talk about some of these new mobile suits. We got the in the beginning, Alan is piloting a, I guess, a proprietary house or pale tech or pale technology suit, the Zowert PMC. We haven't seen this suit before, have we? I don't believe so. Yeah. Do you have any like pressing uh, thoughts on it?
0: I think th- all of these designs, to me, I'm really. Uh, I'm going to sort of include. I know you're you're. Holding off on the uh, the house Daigo suits as well, but I really enjoyed how sort of all these uh, suits very much gave me uh, armored core vibes. I think the very ornate feet, the way the verniers function, the boosters. Um, yeah, I, I think I was about to get to the the, the maneuver where he, he shoots himself backwards to avoid the fuselage of. Lasers are or, other or material coming towards him.
2: I think the only other time they have used a gun or a beam like that as propulsion is in mm-hmm. After War Gundam X, actually. Mm-hmm. At least that's the only other time I can think of that. Because I don't know if there's any kind of real world physics to compare the beam weaponry to, so I don't know how much propulsion that would actually give you. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say, right? Like, you know, at, at the end of the day, I guess they'll tell the story they want they want to tell. Now, yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's a good question to think about. Is like. When you know when, like for example, the the rain and
2: dis- dissipating lasers. Oh, yeah. right. yeah. So that- in UC, you <laughs> beam weaponry did lose its effectiveness mm-hmm. underwater, but you could still right. use it. It's just yes. that the range was so much shorter, right? But in this case, the rain just completely shut it down.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting, but uh, I I like how environmentally focused everything is. Is is what I'll say about
2: that. Um, but yeah, how do you actually? I'll pass it to you then. Then Tanuki, how do you feel about the Zwart? I have a confession to make. I actually am not a fan of the mobile suit designs in this series. I like the aerial. It's definitely not my personal taste. I I much prefer blocky, heavy-looking mechs in general mm-hmm. that look like they have weight to them, right? But obviously, aerial, even just according to its name, is supposed to be much more of like an ethereal, agile, you know, aerial type design. Something that is lighter, so to speak. I think that, considering that was the direction for the aerial, I do like the aerial. The one thing I don't like about the aerial is the, uh, I guess, the permit, the parts of it that are the permit. Oh, like the glowing parts? Yeah, I I might ask about that again later, but like the glowing parts. Sure. I don't like how there's like a big, wide strip of glowing parts that just go down the exhaust vents, because presumably, like, you can't just make the exhaust vents out of permit, right? So does it just replace the exhaust vents, and it's for some reason the same shape as the exhaust vents? It looks a little weirdly like a toy that way mm-hmm. and also i doubt that the glowing parts are as strong as the actual armored parts. so i don't know why you would ever want to have like a big glass glowing part that that's wide because then it could just easily be hit right i i, I would prefer to have like pinstripes of parts that are glowing you know what i mean sure uh, so i do like the aerial though i like the aerial and i kind of like the Elfrith. but in terms of the general jobber mobile suits i think they're all very plain
1: Hmm. I miss the grunt suit from the prologue. The helmet? No, it's not that. Helmut? Something.
2: I actually have. I have a Gundam info page up for all the words and characters and mobile suits. I can just. Okay. I know I'm way off. It starts with an H, though. The the Lilio, Leo, the Zaku we
1: saw in the first episode. Is I like a it the Hindery? I think that's it. I think that's yeah. It. That's it.
2: I, am I don't know a... if all of these were actually shown in the show yet. On this
1: page. Yeah. I think you're correct, because I checked the Gundam wiki, too, and there's some of those mechs that have not made an appearance yet in the show proper.
2: I will say this, though. The high-grade the high grade model kit for the Aerial made me like the design a lot more, because I was very iffy on it when I saw the 2D design. I think it looks mm. much better in 3D for some reason.
1: Interesting. I have to check that out.
2: Uh, anyway, As you were saying... The-
1: as for the two mechs uh, in the way we see, the two models that we see in the beginning, I am less fond of the word I, I think the word is like the plainest design it can be in order to make uh, Elon's mech later um, all that more spectacular. Yeah, right? Even as a though, foil. Yeah. So I, I have very little to say about the word It's fine. I do like the... I, 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 I don't have a name for the, the other mechs just because I, I did a deep dive online, couldn't find anything. They feel like this version, the Ad Stella version of the gun cannon, and they're yeah. cool. They they are very like PMC said very armored core kind of like a grunt mech you'd fight in front mission. Um, I'm a fan of them.
0: Love the quad legs. I'm always happy to see quad leg mobile suits.
1: Yeah, true. I think though my favorite beat in the beginning isn't a mobile suit battle. It is O'Leal. Oh, PMC. What have you been pronouncing his name? O- I would say oh hello. Oh hello uh his him betting against alan and losing a significant amount of money is a very good character bit and nothing against him i like him a lot but the small moments like this really do help personalize the crew and like i said this in previous episodes i hope we really get to spend more time with house earth i hope they are not canon fodder or narrative fodder uh, like i feel like ghoul is becoming i hope we get to spend a significant portion of time to really get to know these these fellows
2: they really do have a big cast of characters they're going to have to juggle Unless, like you said, they just kill off half of them whenever we get some kind of big inciting incident. Speaking of that, would you say there's any kind of inciting incident yet? Because I kept expecting some kind of disaster to be the inciting incident. But it seems more so that there are just a a series of maybe smaller things that you could maybe debate is an inciting incident. Like you could say uh, Suetta's mother doing the things she did was an inciting incident. You could say just the mere act of showing up at the school with a Gundam is... The inciting incident, right? Would you pinpoint it to one specific thing? If we've even gotten one yet, I definitely think I, I think you're probably right
0: that Suleta's appearance and you know, and, and along with it, Lady Prospera, the Shinsei Development Corporation, is probably the thing in terms of like what the reaction to that that is that escalates what's going on, maybe moves us beyond the school format. I'm kind of uncertain because I, I I'm really surprised that we haven't. We we've gotten like, I think um, hints that things are going to get worse. You know, there was almost an assassination in the first episode of, of Delling, yeah. Um, or the uh, or you know the, the the shots that we have seen of uh, of labor disputes on Earth. You know that that's a window into conflicts that are ha- happening elsewhere in in the setting. Um, I just don't know. You know if those things can um, you know can disrupt what's going on at the school, right? Because that's that's what I assume would happen. You know, is that some conflict would spill out and cause you know operations of the school to end and they would go to earth or as you said on a ship
1: yeah i I figure lady Prospera is playing the long game so we may not see her maneuverings reach their climax until later i figure there might be some sort of dramatic incident with the earthians who are hell bent on like, sticking it to the spatians like th- this seems to be a revolutionary group lurking in the shadows i'm curious if they're going to make their move sooner rather than later and maybe of course they are going to successfully help meureen
2: leave the academy in which case that could be another inciting incident we know if it's pronounced meureen or Mirrene because i've just been saying Mirrene since that's how it's spelled but i guess i could actually just pay attention to listen to what they're actually saying
0: yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things too, right? Where we're all listening to Japanese speakers say say the name, and you know, we may or may not be.
2: <laughs> yeah, like you,
0: you might be right. I could go back and really listen carefully, and they would be, you know, pronouncing the last the last vowel. Like, and I'm pronouncing it more like like the name Marine or something. You know, this is kind yeah. of just how I'm. It might be that. Yeah, it really. It. I mean, if you want to keep saying it, Mirene and we'll, you know, honestly. This is like one of those two things too. Uh, you know, we're, we're uh, kids of the '90s and 2000s played a lot of JRPGs, and you know, before before English voice acting, you know, we all we all said the names differently.
1: <laughs> so Titus, yes, Titus,
0: yeah, yeah, Satan, Satan. C- you know, it, it's I. So I, what I would say is, um, you know, until until we have reason to think that there's an official pronunciation, have fun.
1: Real quick, before we move on to the next beat, uh, Ohalo bets 200,000. Like, what? Like, I want a fake ass currency. Like, Sunrise, you had one job. Like, double dollars, Zenny, credits. Come on, what is it? What is he betting? Has Gundam had currency? It's
2: actually extremely deep political commentary, in that, in the future, we're going to do away with any references to currency, and it is just the number.
1: (laughs) They just call currency numbers. I mean, maybe they have a currency built into their school system that is like oh. common knowledge at this point. So they haven't actually like they don't feel the need to give
2: it a name. That makes sense for that well, kind of school, right?
1: Or like yeah. points, like house points.
2: Yeah, surely it has a name. I just don't think that, given the context of the scene, they would feel the need to say it mm-hmm. Because to the other characters in the scene. It's so obvious what they're talking. about. Right. Oh, right.
0: You like it's like a, I, I would say two hundred grand, right? Like I didn't say dollar. You know.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: So Alon's Guardians, the corporate overlords of House Pale, watch the battle with interest. They discuss the aerial and the possibility that its engineers have found a solution to the bioethical concerns involving pilots, i.e. they are not killed or physically harmed. They refer to Alon as Enhanced Person Number 4 and plan to use him to find out whether the aerial is a Gundam.
2: Okay, I've been waiting for my time to strike with my big brain. Maybe big brain observation here i'm there's a high chance you guys probably noticed this as well but being the guest here i wanted to do the honor of pointing it out so did you guys catch on to the parallel between elon and four from zeta gun so
0: i it definitely entered into my mind i think on account of two things i mean one you know generally speaking comparisons between the what we know about enhanced persons in this setting and comparing it to cyber new types and then beyond that, um, just sort of the ideas of like borrowing someone's face, that line
2: really stuck with me. You because know, he asked it's so I'll, I'll get back, I'll get back mm. to that. I want to I want to propose some theories about that. Yeah. But specifically I was asking because this guy is enhanced number or enhanced person number four. Mm. Yep. Seems like an oddly specific number to <laughs> choose, right? And both four from Zeta Gundam and Elon, they go on a date with the main character only only having to fight them afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So Alon is going to have to duel uh, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Alon is going to have to duel Suleta after going on a date. Camille had to fight for after going on a date. Right. And I'm thinking there's going to be some kind of subplot later of Suleta trying to rescue, for lack of a better term, rescue Alon out of this weird uh, puppet position he's in.
0: Mm. I think that's a good instinct. I I, because I I think that's the arc right now for for I, I feel this show is very generational. And so, a part of that is, I think you're going to see, you know, as Ghoul has already moved against his dad, I, I could definitely see Elan, likewise, doing so. Uh, and so, I think that's, you know, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, Gundam is often generational, that's no surprise, but um, I think that's, you know, as, as true here as it is in, in any other Gundam.
2: I'm thinking with all the themes of parents and, like, trying to escape your parents' influence, uh, I think it's going to end up being, like, just a patricidal uh, a patricidal uh, Good. massacre at the end of this show. That's where I think it's heading because especially with the main character's mother being the Char clone and she's basically recruiting this team of people who hate their parents, it's just not going to turn out pretty. No. <laughs> I think the only question now is how
1: bad is Lady Prospero?
2: Yeah, I mean... I think, I think I- it depends who mm-hmm. you're asking because some people would argue Char isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. And so they would probably say Prospero isn't going to be that bad as well if they're projecting char characterization onto her
1: yeah not to dredge up the char's counterattack discourse but like we have like 17 different versions of char i'm curious how many versions oh, yeah. of <laughs> uh, how many authored versions of uh Suletta's mother we're going to get you know for bringing in the 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 shadow
0: of potential upcoming disasters i can't help but bring in
2: uh Tunuki, are you a? Uh, how do you feel about Code Geass? Are you familiar with Code Geass? Oh, I love Code okay. Geass. I have not seen the movie though because I didn't mm-hmm. want to ruin the ending because I thought the ending was perfect, and I thought, why do I need to watch something after the end? In- no? I am going to get around to watching it. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I know a little bit about it because mm. I played the newest Super Robot Wars, and that mm. incorporates some of the stuff from the new movie. So I had to sort of infer some things from it that way. Yeah,
0: if it looks like we're getting closer to Z of the Recapture happening, I'm sure I will also finally sit down and, and watch that movie. Uh, but you know, right now the reason, of course, I'm bringing it up is you know the the head writer for this show is Akuchi, uh, who is also you know much very much responsible for a lot of Code Geass. And I can't help but wonder if we're going to end up with something analogous to the, uh, to the massacre at the hands of um, what's her name, uh, the uh, her? I know who you're
2: talking about. Yeah,
0: because she's covered in blood. It's a very striking image. <laughs> I'm forgetting the character's yeah. name, unfortunately. Euphemia. Euphemia. Yes. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. That. And so I'm just wondering, you know, because I, I I think your your instinct is right to suggest that we you know, we are potentially heading for some kind of bloodbath, and we we have a writer who is not afraid to do so. Uh, So I'm definitely definitely on the lookout.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking once Pandora's box gets open, it's not going to be shut. And I'm thinking that might be signaled with maybe some kind of big tonal shift, maybe at the halfway point of the show when they go to Earth or something, because they keep on foreshadowing all of this political strife that's brewing on Earth, but it's always outside of the camera it's always off screen because none of these characters really have much to do with earth at all, but it's obviously a big part of this world building that they're setting up for something. Uh, also speaking of Suetta's mother, maybe this was already established. Maybe I just missed it somewhere, but why does she have brown hair now? I assumed it was a wig. It was a disguise. Like it's a disguise. Yeah. That's my take.
1: I'm sure there are theories out there about we'll talk about it later but you know we, we'll talk about is, if if Suletta is a clone I'm sure we'll talk about because whether- at
2: first when they showed off what is Suletta's mother's name again Elnora like I know okay, yeah okay because I know Prospera is like the code name but right. when they first when they first showed Prospera on her debut I thought it was so obvious that it was Suetta's mother that I didn't believe it was Suetta's mother yeah. because I thought that they were trying to fake out the audience, right? Like, oh, haha, look, you're not going to get me just because she has a, a prosthetic mm-hmm. arm. I was thinking, okay, maybe a lot of people on Mercury have prosthetic arms, and that's part of the world building, right? A lot of people that work on Mercury get injured. But no, it really is her, but her hair is different. So it's possible she just dyed it, but I feel like there would be much more of a deliberate reason behind writing that. Could
0: be, yeah, could be a wig, could be dying. Um The one thing I will say... And maybe this is just you know me me and uh, and and Irish heritage, but it is also true that people with red hair, their hair tends to get darker over the years if they have reddish tint in their hair.
2: Uh, A little bit true. Maybe she was already pretty much an adult though in the prologue episode, right? right? Which
0: exactly, I think it's the right counter argument uh, to to me bringing that up. So that's why I think it's just the wigger dying.
1: Well, remember, there's also an institution hell bent on tracking Elnora down. So I imagine she wants to at least. uh, Disguise some of her physical features, because Dominicus is the thing, even though the name hasn't been uttered in the show in a while. And presumably, they are still looking for some of those folks on that asteroid.
2: Yeah, that's just going to be what I assume until they give a reason to believe otherwise. Yeah, yeah, that's a good take.
1: Now, interesting that Tanuki had a Zeta pull, because I had a Gundam Wing pull Uh, immediately. So. This is all but confirmed in the episode that Alan is a test tube baby, not to be crass. And it's a very well-worn trope and arguably one that I could see as being a little lazy because, you know, his stoic personality may be the result of his artificial birth and the absence of a supportive family unit. I'm curious how they're going to work with that as the show progresses, if that is the case. But Katra in Gundam Wing if you've read episode zero, you'll know this, is a test two baby. In the Gundam Wing lore, the first generation of space colonists had trouble conceiving. So some well-off parents, like the Winners, resorted to artificial means. And that's the reason why Catra has 28 sisters. I'm not sure if that was mentioned in the show. There, PMC, you'll remember that there was that arc with Catra's dad I think mm-hmm. me Catra is one of Catra's 28 sisters I'm not sure if they actually address just how many sisters Catra has I
0: don't think they do but well we get the surprise reveal right because he's getting treated by a doctor
2: who turns out to be one of his sisters right yeah is that? Yeah, yeah yeah okay oh but, yeah I remember something like that mm-hmm. I don't know if they ever really used that bit of trivia to play into his characterization at all though right oh it's, no I don't think at so most, yeah. just a piece of trivia right because whether whether he at whether he was an only child or had that many siblings, I don't think it really would have changed how they wrote him. I love yeah, Wing the- as much as the next guy, but I think we can all agree it's kind of a mess. Yes, <laughs> it, it yeah, is. Ca- it is. The characterization in
1: Gun to Wing is just a series of points of trivia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm thinking, though, since you're talking about Elan being a Kudre, I think that could actually make for a very interesting uh, characterization bit because... If, if he's self-aware enough to know how weirdly uh, kudre he is, right, to realize how stoic he is, he might start thinking it's just because of his actual genetic disposition because of how he was created, or it could actually just do, it could be due to environmental factors, right, of just being raised in a situation like this. So it could kind of come down to him questioning himself, like if he's somehow fundamentally broken, for lack of a better term, right? And I think him... Sort of uh, thinking things like that could put him in a state where he could get, quote, rescued by Suleta because then he would start to maybe not be so fond of the pale industry people just basically being his surrogate parents. Speaking of them, the House Pale is the
1: creepiest group of motherfuckers I ever did see in the show. <laughs> let me tell you, I uh, on a whim—I don't know how knowledgeable Tenuki Yarath Clone Wars—but on a whim, on the, a few podcast episodes ago, I compare them to the Umbarans, and I thought to myself, maybe I was going off on a too much of a ledge there, too much on a tangent. But then I went. Yeah, to I check see. I see the visual aid you put in yeah and now they look a lot like the Umbarans and the designs are equally as chilling. maybe that's why they are called house pale. Of course they have very pale skin, but it might suggest something about their nature. yeah,
0: I definitely think they also you know might be beyond the pale uh, so to speak in terms of what they're willing to do ethically. It's very funny that right away they are they are acknowledging you know, I guess people have never forgotten the potential advantages of the gunned format technology. And it's interesting to see that House Pale was working at solving, you know, the bioethical concerns of the Gundam technology, but not by, you know, I guess eliminating the data storm, which is on a surface level what we know of, you know, of the
2: Gundam aerial. Can you guys clarify some of the terminology in terms of Gund and make sure I'm understanding it it correctly? Because the Gund format existed before a mobile suit called a Gundam, right? Because it was using permit, whatever that is. Mm as a prosthetic to basically uh, create a race of humans that could exist in space more easily, right? And then later, they decided to start putting the same permit stuff into the mobile suits, and that is what is a Gundam, right?
0: I think that's right in terms of, like, you know, a Gundam mobile suit and specifically what's forbidden, because I don't think, you know, I don't think they went around and, like, confiscated prosthetic legs right they didn't do that it is specifically yeah the the gundam being the mobile suit i i think that's i think that understanding is is correct i we still don't know like what permit is it seems to be something that yeah, you mind. I, I was going to ask
2: about yeah. that but we haven't gotten to that part of the episode <laughs> mm-hmm. yet
0: yeah it seems to be something you mind i don't know if we have more more about that at this time uh i i hope we get
2: we get answers uh soon but anyway what I was I actually yeah I ahead. have it up on Gundam info right now so gun is just the yeah body augmentation which uses permat Gunned mm. format is a system which uses gun technology for military applications and a mobile suit equipped with it is called a Gundarm. okay there you go. And then the definition for permit, I don't know if you've read this already. but I, I have not. It go loud. ahead. If go not. ahead read it. Yeah, no, it'll be
0: useful for, for anyone who's An not. An
2: element discovered in mineral deposits distributed unevenly throughout the solar system. Because like they said in that one episode, I guess they originally discovered it on Mercury, but then it lost its comparative advantage when they found it on the moon. So,
0: Moon's a little um, more of, convenient.
2: Yeah. One of permit's properties is that information is shared between individual pieces and various technologies have been developed by mixing permit with other materials or propellant for control purposes. So I have no idea what they're saying when they say that one of permits properties is that information is shared between individual pieces. What does that mean?
0: I think what they're trying to communicate there is that probably that it maybe it uh, functions perhaps in an analogous manner to organic matter uh, is my guess. That's why it's able to you know to interface and be a prosthetic arm or leg. I mean, I, I think that's the I don't know if there's like a, like a harder sci-fi explanation to that, but that would be my interpretation.
2: I think they're deliberately being kind of cryptic with a lot of this stuff, because I think they kind of want to drip free, uh, drip feed information to yeah. the audience about how this stuff works.
0: Right. Either, either it's important and they're, you know, they're holding their hand. They're not showing us what, what everything is yet, or maybe it's not that important. And they're tr- trying to move on past it. Uh, I'll be curious to know which it is
1: yeah, I think the techno Babble is a little too thick in the writing for my taste. This is like Star Trek. Like when they're talking about like dilithium crystals for three minutes, my mind kind of turns off a bit. And when they're talking about permit in uh, which for Mercury, my mind also kind of turns off a bit. i w- I'll be more interested if it has like symbolic uh, significance later on and if it's like building to something. But as of now, I just go, okay, makes sense, or it doesn't make sense, but then I move on. So I'm curious if if they're going to do anything more interesting with it as the show progresses.
2: Going back to what PMC said about Elon asking about if she also stole someone's face. uh, Or it was phrased something like that. Mm -hmm. Because you can see the permit glowing from underneath him. I was wondering, it's a little cheesy, but but just the possibility that he is a robot. They created Mm. like some kind of permit robot. And they had to get some person's, like some actual human's face, right? To put on it to make it look real. Something like that.
0: You're right. Like they copied someone and you know molded it around this you know permit infused uh, right. Growth. Like
2: like instead of trying to turn a human more robot like they got a robot and tried to turn it more human like. Man, that would, mm-hmm. if he was literally, I would. I kind of hope that's true. I don't know because I, I think <laughs> the one thing that's been missing from every Gundam series, I guess, I guess not because we were mentioning uh, SD Gundam like the superior superior Defender Gundam Force aside from that in terms of like actual Gundam series we have not really gotten any humanoid sized robots despite having mobile suits with AI systems before
0: hmm. yeah I'm th- trying to think about it I think you're you're right right because I, I mean you, you could make well, the the argument that
2: anyway. you could make the argument that it would require much more sophisticated technology to create a humanoid sized robot compared to something like a full-on mobile suit but in the UC timeline, post-Unicorn, the explanation for the suits getting smaller and smaller is that the beam weaponry it keeps getting better and better until eventually it doesn't matter how good your armor is. So it's better to just make the suits as small as possible. Mm-hmm. So that way, it's just better to avoid getting hit. Right, right. Just don't get hit, forehead. <laughs> yeah, simple. So <laughs> I think they acknowledge that they have the ability. I mean, obviously, it's different continuities. But I don't think any of the riders are inherently opposed to creating the possibility of making like smaller robots, like humanoid sized robots, like having a robot pilot a Gundam, for example, mm-hmm. that would definitely make a lawn, a unique. Archetype, yeah, I think. that
0: would be definitely a departure. It'd be interesting.
1: Nika, Ohalo and Nuno marvel at the aerial. Nuno wonders how many first class engineers worked on it. Remember, Suleta is now a member of earth house, which means the aerial is stored in their hangar. Meanwhile, Suleta and Aliha mess around with what appears to be the AdStell equivalent of a Ouija board.
2: I was thinking more of, not necessarily a Ouija board, because that's like an alphabet thing, but uh, and I I don't know much about this, I only know about this from like seeing it in other media and anime, but like getting uh, I think they do something like this in Golden Kamui they get little animal bones and they sort of shake them up in a turtle shell and throw them on the ground, and just basically how they fall and how they intersect with each other is how you would divine whatever you're trying to divine. Hmm. So I don't think this is necessarily like some far future version of divining something. I think there are already things where people try to throw sticks or bones or rocks on the ground.
0: Yeah. The Aaliyah's bio on the, the official Gundam info page uh, mentions that her interest in divination is something that she inherited from her, from her hometown. Uh, so I definitely think that's probably right. And I, I I'm not familiar with the format of, of a Ouija board, but I did notice you know there were people on Twitter trying to figure this out. Like, what is this thing? Is there anything to pick up on? Uh, and the one you know, one person noted that it does have you know a division of twelve units, which of course would line up with the zodiacs. Um, and once again, to, you know, to bring up Good Gun to Wing and the organization of the zodiacs. That's really all I wanted to do. <laughs> I think that's where you're
1: going. She mentions she's talking, so there's a lot of like potential lore nuggets dropped here. I have one comment about her not like remembering the exact circumstances of her of her father's death. Like I know she was cheerfully oblivious to what was going on during the prologue. Part of me finds it a touch difficult to believe that Suleta later didn't put two and two together about his death. You know, assuming of course that he's dead.
2: She probably does know. She's either just in denial or she just doesn't feel like telling this person she just met. Yeah, Suleta's pretty open with like I don't know, just like.
1: Regurgitating information, uh, like you, you could argue that her mind blocked it out due to the trauma. But like a four year old is going to remember something like that.
2: Well, I mean, again, you you did mention the suppression or repression of the memory if it was just too traumatic. But again, like I said, she, I don't think she's stupid. I don't think she would just volunteer that information to people. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw this wild theory online about how the Suleta in the prologue episode is not the same or actually I'll let you get to the next part. Where did I, did I read that in this? Did you guys yeah, write yeah, that down? Yeah, It's, it's, oh, it's okay. further down on the, on the next page. Okay, uh, I'll let, maybe that's where I saw it. I'll let you guys get to yeah, that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, mean I guess we'll, we might as well
0: get into it now because I, I think, you know, Steven's skepticism of this point is is apt. You know, if the Eri in the prologue episode is Suleta, wouldn't have made an impact. You know, would she have a stronger reaction? Is the memory
2: repressed? Is this purely based on the fact that one of the Rocks was interpreted as being a sibling.
0: I think this is evidence in favor of the theory. And just you know, to get the, the theory uh, quickly th- through there is that in some way or form, you know, we don't know the specifics if it is true that Eri, the child from the prologue, is somehow uh, you know in or combined with or in essence a part of Ariel, and that Suleta is actually a second child of of you know Elnora slash Prospera. Uh, which, you know, I mean, plays into the, you know, who's the sibling, which, you know, would play into Soledda not knowing what happened to her father, ex- you know, explicitly.
2: Uh, I don't know. While I-, I do really like that theory, I mm-hmm. think you're reading way too far into it because I think they wanted all of the audience to just immediately assume that the, the Brother Stone is just the Gundam Ariel because it's like a brother to her. Actually, she, right. this, I think this is the first time they referred to it with gendered words, but she said her. So literally mm-hmm. this whole time I've been thinking of the Gundam Ariel as like a big brother type, but she said her, so I guess it's more so big sister. Yeah, El- Because that seemed very deliberate. El uh, Nor says daughters
0: too at one point, right? Isn't that Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: So So I think I think the Ariel is just like a sister because it's been there with her mm-hmm. and it's somewhat sentient because, you know, based on the novel, its sentience is pretty much confirmed with it being told from the Ariel's perspective. Right. So I don't think that's some I don't think that has anything to do with a a, human sister or anything, even though I do think that theory is very interesting because uh, the character who was trying to divine these things with the rock, she seemed kind of confused. Like she was just guessing Mm -hmm. a a sibling because that's the closest thing it seemed to her. Right. Right. I think that's just to mean that the Gundam Ariel isn't literally a sibling, but it basically is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to. I think Go I'm gonna to respectfully dis. I I
1: know I we have we have all of Code G S 2 that exist. <laughs> like just knowing Okuchi's writing habits, I he's gonna have to subvert our expectations somehow. And Tanuki, you are right to point out that the writing has been very like on the nose. They haven't really been sub- subverting us too much so far, and they're gonna have to pull out the rug from under us eventually. And I feel like Suletta might be the way to do that. I, they're heavily hinting that not all is what it appears to be regarding Suletta and Suletta's mother.
2: Yeah, I'd be down for it if that theory proves to be true. Yeah, just I mean, one more bit of,
0: um, you know, one more thing to note, and sort of also to make another, you know, fun reference is that I, I think the way that the mechanics of House Earth are very much impressed with the aerial is sort of another point. Uh, it very much reminded me of when, you know, in other settings, I bring up, um, you know, the, the PS1 game, Gears when they encounter the, the mobile suit Welltall, which is full of mysteries that they, d- they do not understand. And it's not, they only use the same language here. In which Mercury to describe Ariel, but there certainly is some sort of awe and maybe difficulty to fully grasp uh, with the Ariel. So I definitely get the feeling of you know, there's a feeling of mystery around the suit, uh, more so even than just you know it being treated like family.
1: And you bring up a good point too, PMC. Like House Earth seems very like salt of the earth, very genuine. And in kaiju movies, there are always characters, they're usually like fishermen, who like are in touch with the mysteries of the world. And you could usually sense that not everything is right before kaiju attacks. And I feel like the characters of House House Earth almost like are mystically reverberating with the aerial. Like they know they're like, they're not divining anything explicitly, and they're not, like, actively seeking out this information, but they know that the Ariel is special, and their interest in the aerial could suggest something more.
2: There's definitely so- something going on, which is evidenced by something that happens uh, later. Suleta asks Aaliyah, ask if Aaliyah can read
1: fortunes. She replies in the affirmative, she just needs a birthday. Just then Suleta gets a call. It's Alon. Turns out he wants to go out with him. Or it turns out he wants her to go out with him. Sorry, I was quoting from the script there. That night, in a scene right out of Greece, the girls ask Suleta for the deets and then debate the merits of the ice prince. Afterwards, from the comfort of the Ariel's cockpit, Suleta, in a very relaxed posture, calls her mother to tell her of her upcoming date. I don't have anything too hard-hitting to say about these scenes other than they're nice and they feel honest. Of course, you could argue that it very much seems like a male writer is interpreting how girls, young girls, interact with each other. PMC and I talked about this in regards to Gurren Lagan, if you remember two years ago, PMC, when we covered, like, it was an episode in the middle of the, sh- of the show, and Nina was, you know, Yoko and Nina were finally starting to get along. Uh, the ice was beginning to thaw between them, and I believe Nina was cutting Yoko's hair, or maybe it was the reverse. And we talked about how honest that seemed felt, but we also acknowledged that, yeah, this this seems, this might seem like a very stereotypical portrayal of how like young girls interact with each other. So I can't speak from lived experience here, but I, I will say these scenes do feel honest to them.
2: I, would, I think phrasing it as maybe a, a romanticized idea of what they do would be better, because I definitely see it, if it is a male rider, it's him sort of imagining what they would do without males around, like, in a, in a romanticized sort of way, right? Yeah, yeah I, and the,
0: I think it's always good to pull on the thread here. I, I, obviously, maybe I took it too far with, with some things, but I do think playing up melodrama is something that's always going to be present, especially in
1: a school setting. Yeah, and these scenes are common to Mecca and anime writ large, too. I
2: think it was Yoko cutting... Uh, yeah, it was Nia's what's her name's hair, What's-her-name's right?
0: hair. Nia's hair, because,
2: because that was the one that yeah, she it, a yeah, dramatic it, reveal. It was because... Uh, the, she had to, like, shoot right by Nia's head, and the bullet went through her hair and, like, burned a hole yes. in it, and it looked really bad. So then right. Yoko had to, like, give her a short haircut to make it look okay. Yeah, mm,
1: yeah, yeah. Right, right. Good recall. I will say, not to pull on some obvious Lacanian imagery, but the privacy, darkness, and comfort of the Ariel's cockpit feels very womb-like. You could argue about that. You could make that same observation about mechs in any show, but here it feels especially intimate, and choosing to c- take the call with her mother here is very intentional, I think.
2: I think especially because of the position she's in because she's sort of sitting with her knees up which looks fetal position like I'm sure also you guys on the other episode were talking about the theory about uh, her hairband looking like Char's mask right Oh
0: yeah that was <laughs> like, I I think that was um shout out to Tom, Tom Aznable who I think might have put that into motion uh yeah. I, I forget if so it was actually him who did it or someone else but
2: It's right after Prospera is introduced, right? And it's obviously Suletta's mother, and it's the resident Char clone, and then it cuts to Suletta with a mask that she got from her mother, which looks like Char's mask, and she's sitting in a fetal position in that one as well. So I was just wanting to bring it up because I'm sure you guys talked about that theory, but I don't know if you guys necessarily caught the fact that she was sitting in a fetal position as well. And I saw some people theorizing that this means, oh, Suletta is going to be the actual Char clone, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's showing that she is basically like a victim of a char clone character's political agenda because she sent suetta there as part of some sort of political game right she's projecting all of these uh, political aspirations onto her daughter and the fact that they made it a point that she got the hairband from her mother and the hairband looks like char's mask kind of makes it seem as if she's chained by her mother's will right because she got she was essentially you know told to go here by her mother and she might be unknowingly playing into her hand etc so that's what i got from that but anyways i was just bringing it up because they also did a fetal position type of thing in that scene as well
0: and i think too just the general use of red with Suleta as well you know red is often a color associated with the shark clones uh and that's another thing technically she got that from her mother too right you know we already talked about elnora's hair
1: after the call, Elnora's subordinate enters with the news that Pale Technologies is about to make its move.
0: So I think we already kind of went through a little bit of Elnora and Prospera here in terms of you know is she good is she evil? Obviously, we've compared her uh, compared to her to Shar. The only other thing I, I wanted to mention was I feel like we you know most of our attention is focused on the school setting, and just to reiterate, kind of. Um, what we said before is that we're looking for an inciting incident and that inciting incident, you know, could come from outside of the school. We don't have a lot of context for where prosper is, where the the courtroom scene from, from episode two took place or, you know, where exactly on earth, uh, you know, are there disturbances? Um, and so I, you know, I, I enjoy these like little crumbs that we're getting and I'm definitely curious how they're going to pay off.
1: Meanwhile, at Pale House HQ, Alan and one of the higher-ups watch footage of Suletta's duel with Ghoul and review the schematics of the aerial. Alan believes that Suletta Mercury must be an enhanced person like himself. As he says this, his body pulses red with, presumably, an influx of permit. Alan seems happy; he's found a kindred spirit. The woman requests that he set up a duel to test his mobile suit. Now, Tanuki, did you have a note about the permit here or did you have a note later on in the episode?
2: We kind of talked about it already, about him maybe being like a permit robot, Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was going to talk about the, quote, permit level later when he actually gets into the Gundam, which I'm sure you guys have thoughts on as well. Sure, sure. Do you have any thoughts about this
1: character? Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah. I I feel like the woman is giving off doctor vibes, like she's essentially administering a physical to Alan. I I do wonder if she's Alan's quote-unquote mother in the sense that she was responsible for his birth and rearing. I am reading Alan as a artificially conceived child, not a robot, a human being. That's my take on um, what or who Alan is.
2: I was kind of getting the sense that later, once you know that uh, Elnora knows this person, Maybe they worked together at one time, but they had philosophical differences about how far they should take the transhumanism, right? Like maybe uh, maybe Elon's mother, for lack of a better term, was much more extremist when it came to the transhumanist ideals, whereas maybe Suleta's mother actually drew the line somewhere, something like that.
0: Right. Yeah. Like Suleta's mother would have followed in the tradition of Dr. Cardo and... You know, maybe this student didn't want to go where Doctor Cardo was going. Felt, yeah, felt differently.
1: Yeah. Speaking of Doctor Cardo, I wonder when she's going to reappear. Do you think Tanuki, Do you think Doctor Cardo is alive? Which one is Cardo again?
0: Cardo was the uh, the one that uh, Ari referred to as Granny. Uh, she had like some like the head
2: head augmentations. Oh yeah. We we, sh- we think for she's some dead. Reason, yeah. uh, she doesn't show up in the. Character sheet on Gundam info. Mm-hmm. I guess they count the prologue as some other thing. They do actually. They they have
1: separate character uh pages for prologue and the show. But also, I think they're holding uh, back a potential reveal, and maybe in uh, for some very obvious ways. But you know, Cardo was killed. Theoretically, Cardo was killed off screen, but we didn't see the body. And I feel like I feel like Cardo's definitely alive. Suleta's dad might be alive. And, of course, Suleta may or may not be a clone.
2: I'm thinking we're eventually going to get an episode or a scene where it goes back to that event and mm. shows the same thing happened, but from maybe some wider perspectives. Maybe once we start getting some reveals about Suleta's mother and about how she's maybe more of an anti-hero than a hero. Right,
1: right. I wouldn't mind a whole flashback episode like we get in Evangelion with the founding of NERF. I wouldn't mind the founding of that organization, the Vanitas Institute.
2: Have you guys read the novel fully? I because I- I read the English translated like Cliff Notes version because they basically summarized it because, you know, it's kind of impossible to translate one to one from Japanese to English, especially when it's a fan thing. But I was wondering wondering if you guys read a more in-depth version of it.
1: No, I believe that is a machine translated version. Not to cast any aspersions on it, it's uh, that that has been keeping me away from it. To be fair, though, I think that's like a short story. There is a Witch from Mercury novel that's due to hit store shelves in Japan sometime in the next month. So I'm curious, like, what information we are going to get, even as English speakers, um, from that novel.
2: You know, you know the general stuff that happens in it, though, right?
1: I read some uh, cliff notes on it, but feel free to inform us okay. anything.
2: Okay, well, basically, I mean, obviously, I could go read it again, but long story short, Elnor is trying to get revenge on that organization, which basically came in and shot up the place, Yeah, right? And it's told from the Ariel's perspective, which basically confirms its sentience. And the Ariel is aware that Suleta is being used as a political chess piece by her mother, but kind of laments the fact that it can't actually communicate that to her. But then sort of comes to the conclusion that it's probably better for her to go to this school anyway, even if it is for some political game, some kind of political game, because the aerial assumes that whatever kind of uh, experience and knowledge she can get from this would outweigh whatever kind of risk there is in it being a political game. And that's the long story short, I think.
0: That's interesting. I really do wonder, you know, especially as, as you know, Steven said, how is that going to sort of manifest both, you know, directly you know will that material be made available like on a Gundam info site or something uh, and then also you know what what does that pretend for for the sh- uh, the narrative of the show
2: I really do like the trope this happens a lot more in super robot shows I think and uh, happens in shows in which you don't necessarily pilot the mobile suit or the mech but I like the trope when the mech is ambiguously sentient you know what I'm talking about absolutely yeah. I watched Giant Gorg recently, mm. which I don't think is I don't think is very good. It had <laughs> had a lot of promise, but like the pacing is terrible because it's it's half the length of the original Gundam, mm. and the majority of the show is like the part in the original Gundam w- in which they're just stuck in the white base and they're kind of going around just driving from place to place, which works in Gundam because it has so many more episodes, right? But in Gorg, it just feels like they're driving around in a tank, like going nowhere the whole time, and all the characters are. Bad examples of passive main characters. Well, it's a good example of a bad passive character because they pretty much just walk around and they don't really do things. They just get lucky. Like they'd survive because of things outside of their control. But something I did really like in Giant Gorg was the actual main mech. Mm. Because the whole time the mech was sort of ambiguously sentient. And when it opened up its chest, when it opened up the cockpit to kind of urge the main character to get into it, there was like this mummy... Of The original pilot that just kind of turned to dust because presumably he hadn't opened the cockpit in that long and it was kind of like the ghost of the original pilots will was still sort of pushing on this mech because maybe in a way it influenced this mech into trying to finish the mission that the original pilot tried to do a long time ago and I'm trying to say this without going into the details Hmm. of giant gorg, but I'm thinking you could maybe do something with the aerial as well, especially if that wild theory is true of it being sort of possessed by a reflection or shadow of her sister. Who presumably died? Assuming that theory is correct.
0: Yeah, I think too. With what you were talking about, the perspective of this uh, of this short story being Ariel frustrated at a lack of communication, right? That that sort of thing could show up. Uh, and and two, you know, to once again invoke Gundam Wing, that's something that also happens in Gundam Wing. There are scenes where, for example, Katra urges the sand rock on while he's escaping to space you know i think in a, yeah. like episode uh 16 or something or like there's some point in the series when they're going to space or
2: like the tropes where if it's raining and it looks like uh the mech's crying or something
0: mm-hmm. i mean there's one of those in this episode where it looks like the delanza is
1: crying at the end of the fight yeah i, uh, I know good. i know it's
2: cliche but i really like that but trope. it's good it's
1: fun right <laughs> yeah shout out to the giant robo Though I would say Giant Robo is unambiguously unambiguously sentient. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure.
2: There, there are extents, like, you know, varying extents of it. Just in general, I like seeing shows take on that trope in different ways.
1: Absolutely. Now, Alon requested that Suleta bring the aerial on their excursion. Big red flags. Miorine gives Suleta a mouthful. Ghoul gets word of the date while pumping iron at the gym. He does not react favorably. <laughs>
0: I just say I love these gym vibes. Just two big meaty house to Turk guys pumping iron in this like very clean gym, and you know, and and Felci and Petra rush in, and I, oh my god, did you hear It's Just like it's excellent school vibes. They're in a gym. Uh, it, it sort of almost feels um, like analogous to what we saw with with House Earth stuff. Uh, I just mm. they're really playing into these school tropes, and and you know, if you're gonna do it, do it.
1: Yeah, totally. As someone who works at a school and occasionally works out at the gym, I uh, I get, like, those secondhand vibes. Not as a student, but as a teacher. Alan set up this date under the pretext of inspecting the testing sector, which is one of the responsibilities of the dueling committee. Since his Zowart is still damaged from his previous battle, he enlists the aid of Suleta and the Ariel. On their inspection, Alan asks to know more about her. Suleta tells her him about her lifelong relationship with the Ariel before getting embarrassed and frantically frantically asking what his birthday is. He doesn't answer. Instead he asks to take the Ariel out on his own. And I think there's a good reason why Alan avoids the question because he doesn't have an answer. Like he doesn't have a birthday in the traditional sense. I'm sure also that he believes there's nothing worth celebrating about his conception, which of course wouldn't be true, but I'm sure that's how alan feels about, his, uh, about himself and about his quote unquote birthday.
2: He could have just lied to avoid the whole topic, right? I'm thinking the reason why he didn't answer was maybe a bit more petty. Mm. Yeah, and that wouldn't be. Um,
1: I wouldn't put it past Alon to act like that either. Based on what I showed you, we I showed about.
2: you my Gundam. Please respond. <laughs> 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 That's just too light of this whole scene.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'll tell you. Uh, maybe it's just me spending too much time with computers. But like, my knee jerk reaction was like. Don't just don't just ask for his personal information like that. Like that could be like a you know a question to get past the password. You know it's like a two fa thing. Like don't what are you doing there? Don't just ask someone's birthday.
1: <laughs> yeah, I might have Suleta like roast into glasses on because I find all her actions incredibly endearing. So I'm like, Alain, yeah, just shut up and give her her birthday. Suleta is talking now alone and in control of the aerial. Alain realizes that Suleta is nothing like him. She was not created in a lab to interface with mobile suit tech, nor was her body infused with permit. This realization hits him hard. He exits the aerial and gives Suletta the coldest of shoulders. While she views mobile suits as family, he sees them as a curse, a distinction that he points out to her before walking away. I really wonder where... Uh, Which Mercury is going to fall on this? Traditionally, when not viewed through an incredibly commercial lens, Gundam, particularly UC Gundam, has framed the Gundams as instruments of war that perpetuate wow, cool violence. Wow, robot! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, and I, I, I assume that that's the the tact that Which Mercury is going to go, the direction that Which Mercury is going to go. Like they do not do good, strictly speaking. Given the transhumanist themes that the show has gestured to, I wonder if. In some way, this show will challenge or subvert any of those beliefs. We talked about this a bit in the prologue episode with Thal. Like, will it challenge these beliefs? Like, maybe the Gundam can g- do good or be a benefit to society? Or is Suleta doomed to lose her innocence and be forced to destroy or renounce the Ariel? Um, I could go either way at this point. I do think she'll eventually lose some degree of thematic innocence, so to speak.
2: Two things uh, about if she's going to have to you know, abandon or destroy the aerial and just about weapons in general. I think it's, I think it's kind of obvious to me that it's going to go in the way of like one sword keeps another in the sheath way of viewing the Gundams. Kind of like how, uh, kind of how in double O the whole paradox of you need this threatening presence to kind of keep peace in the whole world. Uh, but maybe more interestingly, something you kind of, uh, went through quickly when elon comes to the realization that sueta is not like him that's after he goes permit level 2 and wargs into the aerial right mhm so i was going to ask you guys have they actually defined what permit levels are because in the prologue someone says like permit level something right before he goes fighting and i was thinking it was basically like release my pain inhibitors like i'm going to go this level even though it's going to be a higher strain on my body But when Alon went permit level two, it really did seem as if he was looking at the surrounding area through the camera of the aerial, because the camera moves up to the main camera of the aerial. And then the perspective looks as if he's literally looking through the aerial's eyes, like looking at its hand as if he's sort of uh, calibrating himself and feeling the scale of like the bigger body he's now in. And it also made a really weird sound effect. Like you were underwater or something Mm. as if you were kind of like perceiving senses from two bodies at the same time. That's what it, came across as to me.
0: Yeah, I, I think that makes sense because, you know, intuitively, if you were to ask what my understanding of this interface is, it is that the, instead of being a prosthetic right arm, that it is, you know, a prosthetic body, that the the mobile suit body becomes your own body, um, but that the uh, amount of information, right, they always, t- they keep talking about a data storm, that the amount of information that that provides to the, to the brain can be potentially fatal. You know, it can right. sort of overwhelm you or, or do some other kind of And has been done before,
2: like in uh, iron Butted Orphans or mm-hmm. Thunderbolt. Right. that the, the interface is sort of the pain point, so to speak, right? Right. So the reason he realized that Suleta isn't like him is because of... I might be misremembering this because it was, you know, very jargon-fueled. Mm-hmm. Filled, but he was expecting some kind of feedback, some kind right. of resistance, right? And when he warged into it so easily, that's when he realized that she somehow, like, she somehow conditioned it into not giving this f- bad feedback.
0: Yeah, I. so, you know, to go to, to the technical problem with the Gundam, right, the problem is that the Gundam gives this bad feedback, and House Pale's solution to that is to create an enhanced human and so you know, House Pale. Both I think Elon personally and House Pale, uh, you know, commercially, professionally, want to find out. Well, why, why is this work? Is it? Is it? This, are they doing the same thing that we're doing? And yeah. what Elon is discovering is that they are not doing the same thing that we're doing.
2: Because the line I
0: think he uses is something like they have, uh, like, like they've lifted the curse, or they they've done something else. Well,
2: to- I think I might be misremembering this, but I think specifically he is attributing. He's crediting Suleta for lifting the curse, mm-hmm. not the people who made the mobile suit, which I thought was strange. Because why would he assume that she's done something to basically beat this issue instead of just assuming that whoever created the Ariel did it?
0: That is, yeah, th- to fix it on on Suletta is interesting, it's I, I wonder if he does that because uh you know of the conversation they have about Suleta's upbringing with the Ariel. You know, maybe that maybe. maybe that's his assumption. Um, I wanted to ask a question to y'all about a So Alon, at this point, you know, he gets kind of upset about this whole situation because he thought he was finding someone that he could relate to or connect with. I think is, is what he was hoping for. And that is not the case. That is not, you know, this person right. is not in the same situation as him. And so, I was wondering because of the way he talks about the technology, I, I think the I think the read that makes the most sense is that he's upset that he didn't find someone like him. I also, upon listening and reading, felt like he was maybe upset that he has undergone trials in his life that are now obsolete. You know, I don't know if right. he views the aerial as a superior technology. Presumably not growing humans to resist feedback from the Gundam is You know harder or i mean not doing that is easier than just having a you know a gundam that doesn't kill you um so i i assume yeah i wonder if he is upset at being obsolete i I think the former is more reasonable but
2: i think it's safe to assume that they've basically like forced his whole life to be uh for the purpose of helping them out with this science project for lack of a better term right they've probably been filling his ear with propaganda the whole time like you're doing this for science like we're going to have the best thing ever made. We're going to finally beat this whole issue with the interface with you, right? Mm-hmm. And then he finds out that someone else has already beaten it by accident, basically. It means all of the, all of the things he's had to endure up to this point was just right. meaningless because someone else found a better way to do it. And that was sort of his whole point of existing, at least what he's been told. So he kind of is probably going through an existential crisis now which is common when it comes to cyber new type sure. types or cyber new type uh, subplots.
0: Steven, you got a take on this? Where do you think, do you think Alana Il- is more about the personal connection? Is he worried about his existence?
1: Both? I'm right in the middle, I think. Okay. P- because I think up until this point, for Mercury has been stressing the uh, um, what the character wants on a, I guess, a character level, not necessarily a materialistic level. Like, I felt that way with Ghoul and his proposal to Suleta. So I'm gonna make a similar read here, but I don't doubt what you're saying. I feel like the show is framing... The parents, the adults as more Machiavellian and more concerned with materialistic advantage while they are framing the children as put upon, abused, and manipulated. And I feel like the show is more empathetic to their concerns. So I, I feel like Elan grasping in the dark for personhood and grasping in the dark for someone to someone with whom he could share these experiences with is something that which Murky would prioritize based on how the writing has gone so far in the first five episodes.
2: To basically summarize what you said there, are you familiar with social contract theory? Yeah, like Rousseau. I'm thinking it's basically like, uh, I don't even remember who made it, social contract theory, but basically it's like, maybe at one time in some kind of theoretical model of when a country or society was created, right, they had to, people had to enter into a social contract to create a government, right? Government said, okay, we're going to do these things for you, but in respect in return you're going to have to abide by these laws etc but then when they have children are the children then also obligated to follow the same rules if they themselves never agreed to the contract mm-hmm. and so it's just all of these main characters who are children who are basically born into this world and expected to follow these weird rules and politics that were made completely away from them right and it, i think it's all these main characters these kids trying to evaluate are we really obligated to follow these rules and these weird systems that these adults put into place right which obviously isn't a foreign topic for gundam or even media in general yeah, I, totally. I think that's right on yeah without warning as is his want
1: ghoul shows up on his hoverbike, sees that sulet is upset and gives alan a piece of his mind alan proceeds to challenge him to a duel all right, so I will say, I think Ghoul's characterization is verging on becoming a caricature, given how the writers convenience, conveniently use him to advance the plot, and then they drop him when he's no longer useful. Despite that potential criticism, I've really warmed to him. This interaction, him rushing to Suleta's defense, confirms to me that his marriage proposal was genuine.
2: Uh, two things. Firstly, I, I looked it up when you were saying that. Rousseau did have some part in social contract theory, along with Thomas Hobbes and John Locke, who I'm more familiar with. Uh, So I just wanted to check because you bringing it up actually made me curious about it. Mm. Uh, Secondly, I I don't know how much you want to talk about his proposal, since that was probably a big topic of another episode. Eh, If you you want to drop in a quick take, go ahead. I think he was completely legitimate. I think he was sincere during the marriage proposal. But I think he's not emotionally self-aware enough to realize in hindsight why he did it. Because I think he surprised even himself. Like, oh, what came over me? Why did I do that, right? And I think throughout the episode, he's going to have more situations in which he's forced to choose if he wants to defend Suleta or not, right? And in this case, he did choose to defend her. And I think over time, with him doing more and more things like that, he's going to... Start getting the self-awareness to realize that he actually did mean the marriage proposal. It's just that he did the marriage proposal, and then she rejected him, and then he realized he was being filmed, so it was probably pretty embarrassing, right? So it was his, it was his knee-jerk response to just put up a defense and say, oh, I didn't even mean it anyway. But I really liked Ghoul in this scene. I was really rooting for him. I wanted him to win the duel so much. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, no, really though.
2: Ghoul, <laughs> I think, is
0: such a, like, initially just seemed to be, you know, this kind of thin, thin archetype, but he's having such an interesting interrogation of his own personal values, because I I, I think exactly what you're saying is that you, you're, you're, you're a teenager, you're coming to understand more of the world. And, you know, this is sort of the, the contract you have with your, your parents and a society. And he is interrogating that. And he isn't just like, you know, he's not like, you know, fleeing school or running away or something. He's kind of doing it more, more piece by piece and bit by bit. Uh, And seeing him navigate those things and, and take action is uh, one, of the, one of the more fun parts of the show, really, because he, he shows up, you know, just like this, and scene happens.
2: I think his whole arc is going to be him becoming more and more disillusioned with this system he's been born into, because presumably, like, before, like, even at the start of the show, he seemed to really believe in this system about all the dueling and maybe, like, all of the politics at large in this world, right? Because he really seems like a lawful, like, paladin-type character, but then he's getting more and more disillusioned because he starts realizing that these adults who claim to promote the same system break the rules all the time, which I don't think he likes. And I think that's going to be the difference between him and Alan, because Elan seems to be willing to break the rules for some uh, goal, right? Like the end justifies the means, whereas Gjul is much more idealistic about how he approaches things, which is why I think it's good they made them fight this early. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. Yeah, I imagine that Suleta, Meorene, ghoul and Alon are going to come together in some form and realize that they're being abu- they're all being abused they have they have that in common they're all being abused and manipulated by their parents or guardian figures or the or the adults who influence them most i have a feeling though the show is going to kill elan i, I feel like we're going to get a rollo with elan Alon is going to have to be killed in order to advance the plot for better or for worse i feel like ghoul though is going to make it till the end and ghoul is going to become a real fan favorite by the time witch mercury ends he's already um i see a lot of people already warming up to him on twitter
2: yeah. Also, back to what I said, since I just thought of a way to put it more eloquently, I think the the notion of him becoming disillusioned, increasingly more and more disillusioned with how the system works and how the government works, I think that's sort of a parallel, like on a macro scale of the whole parent and child relationship, because I think every child inherently just trusts their parents, right? They just assume their parents are all knowing and can do no wrong. And then for one reason or another, over time, every kid eventually realizes that their parents aren't actually these omniscient beings. They're actually just a person who make as many, if not more, mistakes than other people, right? And of course, some people realize this sooner than others. So I think Yule starting to become more and more distrustful of his father is, like I said, a parallel to that, which could end up being a big theme of the show. Yeah, I think
1: the show is going to, the first core of the show is going to track them all coming to that realization sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah. And I think them joining up with that uh, House Earth in the previous episode was kind of them kind of establishing like a hub, so to speak. Even if Gul isn't officially part of House Earth, I think he's going to eventually start hanging out around there.
1: Yeah, that can make for some c- funny character interactions. <laughs> yeah. The school is such a big personality. I do wonder if House or- Earth is in any way connected with that quote-unquote, radical organization that we saw helping Miriam. I'm very curious about, like I well, said before... Are we before, assuming
2: the houses are basically just like school clubs? Because that's the assumption I had to make. Because when I first heard house, I was thinking like royal family house. Like I think it's more institutionalized
1: like that because you have right. to have... like They're all backed by powerful corporations. Or in House Earth's case. Powerful institutions on Earth, that whole... The politics of Earth is very nebulous at this point.
2: Yeah. But I'm thinking, why would... Why would some political body care about sponsoring some school club? Because the um, it could gain,
1: gain them more power, I guess, because all these corporations are vying. They're using basically the academy to vie for more power. Yeah, that's interesting. It really comes down to just when we find out more about how Earth
2: works. Yeah.
1: Earth and or Mercury and or any other colonized
2: planet. Yeah, that's too. another question, because if we're going to have some kind of like big tonal shift halfway through the show and it goes to Earth, that would decrease the chances of us seeing anything happen on Mercury and vice versa. Because
1: mm-hmm, sure. I doubt
2: they could be on Mercury one episode and then just fly to Earth the next yeah. episode. A little bit of right, distance yeah.
0: there.
1: My galaxy brain take is Mia going to get to Earth and then Suleta is going to get back to Mercury or vice versa. It will be interesting for Mia Reen to learn more about Suleta by going to Earth by herself and interacting with, I guess... Like Suleta's community and I guess what, you the mean same it's, goes to
0: uh Mirin going
2: to Mercury or Yeah, Miran okay. going to Mercury yeah, and Suletta okay. going to
1: Earth. If you wanted to, I guess, separate expectations. Just, it
2: always seems difficult to write a situation in which you have these concurrent stories happening separately because it always seems tricky to write them back together.
1: Yeah. Oh okay. sure. yeah, definitely. It's a challenge. Co- code Yes is proof of that. Yeah. I had that Rolo, like, realization earlier, PMC. Was Rolo a Test 2 baby? I know he was trained from an early age as an assassin. I don't recall specifically, no. Yeah, I can't. The wiki's really not helping me in this regard. But he has those vibes, too. Actually, there's a lot of similarities, I could draw now between Alon and Rolo, if you're looking at Taniguchi archetypes. And maybe I'll really warm to him, because I liked Rolo at the very end. Rolo really won me over in his final episode, so we'll see if the same is true with Alon. With Shadik presiding, Alan and Ghoul go through the pre duel formalities. If Ghoul wins, he demands that Alan stay away from Suleta Mercury. If Alan wins, he demands Suleta will fight a duel with him. Suleta agrees. Shadik states the customary Alia acta est, signifying that the terms are set, the duel can begin. I keep on waiting for you to say ghoul instead of duel or vice versa. <laughs> I have I have made a few uh, puns on that in previous episodes.
2: I think it is, okay, well, I guess we haven't talked about what he says after he wins the duel, right? But I just want to point out here that the only thing Suleta agrees to is that she will fight a duel with him if he wins, right? Mm -hmm. That's the only thing she agrees to, is that, yes, she will fight a duel purely for the sake of fulfilling this obligation if he wins, right? So getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, just so that way, I'm just saying it now since it's related to this. When he wins and says, okay, now you have to fight a duel with me, and if I win, you give me the Ariel," I don't think she should have to agree to that term. Because in this situation, like I said, the only thing she actually agreed to was to duel elan not necessarily to any kind of win or losing terms, right? So she should only have to give up the aerial if she then additionally agrees to that. Because they could literally just have that duel be for no terms, just purely to fulfill an obligation based on the previous one, right?
0: Oh yeah, but I think- agree. So, needs to stand up for herself here. Yeah, 100%. So if, <laughs> if she
2: if she actually ends up agreeing to the terms of giving up the aerial if she were to lose, that's going to be incredibly stupid. I don't know what le- I mean.
1: I agree with you, but I don't know what legal rights are afforded to each of these students. I don't know the, I guess, legal landscape of what qualifies as an accept as acceptable dueling parameters. Because theoretically, does Elan even have to get Zuleta's permission, or can the duel go through with just school and Elan?
2: Well, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, a duel at the very least, a duel in which they fight each other and duel is legally obliged. Just. Based on what I'm assuming from all these rules, right? Just taking them at face value. I'm just trying to follow a train Mm -hmm. of logic, right? He said, if I win, I duel Suleta. Suleta agreed to it. So there should be no issues with that, right? That should be perfectly legal and obligatory from Suleta. But then additionally, post-hoc, after winning the duel, he said, oh yeah, by the way, when we duel, you have to give me the Gundam if I win. Even though that was never necessarily said when she originally agreed to duel. The only reason that would be allowed is if there's some small text somewhere saying that if you agree to a duel, the terms must then be negotiated and whatever they propose, you have to immediately agree to. But I think that's bad world building because if that were true, then every single time someone starts a duel, they could just say, give me everything you own. If I win, both sides could just say that. If, if if, if the, if their opponent has to agree to these terms, everyone could always just say, give me everything you own, all of your life savings. Also, you have to leave the school.
0: I think the, the like, I, I think I kind of agree that it feels like flimsy world building in service of upping the stakes, you know, because that's really. Right.
2: Well, you know, it really comes down to if she yeah. agrees to it or not, though. Right. Well, I, I would like to believe that, that would she be wouldn't agree to it, but I think it would be extremely weird for the writers to propose this only to have them shoot it down. So I'm a little hmm. worried that she will agree to it and then oh, I'll be she's going the to agree to building. No, that, yeah, the terms are set. test. Hey, hey. No, no, no. They said Alya asked when it comes to, yes, she will fight a duel. Yeah. So they should be able to just literally fight for the sake of fighting to fulfill this agreement that they did. They shouldn't have to create new terms on top of it. They could if they wanted to, and they both agreed to it. But I'm not going to critique it mm-hmm. until they actually yeah. confirm it.
0: No, I I, I, I don't know. I, here's what I think. If, if, if someone's going to stand up and say no to this, it's going to be someone like Meereen, right, who has already tried to say, like, Oh, you changed the terms, you know, when it came to some of the other duels, like the situation with the rain. Um, no, I'll be curious because right now, you know, it does feel flimsy because it's kind of in the service of an end, end of episode cliffhanger, right? Because that's when that's when it happens right, right at the end of the episode. Um, will will it be immediately rolled back or, you know, will will it actually flow into the next episode? This is something that's always on my mind. I think I mentioned this with regards to the ghoul proposal is that um, i feel like oftentimes in code geass episodes you would have some you know very exciting cliffhanger because someone had been caught in some snare but then at the beginning of the next episode you know some other you know surprise would show up you know rolo would show up and freeze time and give alucard a chance to escape or you know something else like that right it would be immediately sort of resolved yeah um and so you know i i think the 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 prospect that you're raising is like how neatly will these events fall into uh, the world or will they just have been in service of an end of episode clever? I mean, that's the way I'm framing it. You know, if you want to reframe that, go ahead.
2: I just think if they do end up, if she is forced to agree to this term, it breaks the world building because then you would have all of these duelists making these extreme demands every time whenever they start a duel because if there's no limit to what you can demand and they have to accept it, why wouldn't you, Mm -hmm.
1: right? Yeah. So the duel has begun. Ghoul and a custom, custom blue Delonza, which apparently is his half brother Lauda's, and Alan in the Faract or Feract, arrive on the battlefield. So my friends, we have two new mechs here. Uh, very interesting designs. So let's let's talk about. It. Let's start with the blue Delonza, PMC. Do you prefer to the to its red counterpart?
0: I so I want what I would say is I really like the weapons on the Delanza. I think I'm ultimately more a fan of the uh the live and, and slim design. Uh, you know, like I you actually in you I'm gonna steal your note because you mentioned the comparison of the Fayrect to Shinkura, and I'm always more on that side of things, but uh the axe of the Delanza, you know, I calls back perhaps a little bit to the of course the classic heat axe of of the Zaku. Uh I'm I'm a big fan of it. i I, I feel kind of bad for it because I feel like it shows up in um in the worst possible environment to field it you know with uh with all the games. oh yeah I, I feel like it really suffers uh, for that but uh, I very much enjoy the design I'm glad I am glad that there is not a um sort of like a one size fits all approach not everything looks like uh, a Gundam the the chunkiness of these suits almost kind of calls back to some of like the chunkiness of um of like later Zeon suits. And and I enjoy that.
2: Oh yeah, especially with the head sculpt. Mm-hmm. Or I guess it wouldn't be sculpt in the case of it being a real <laughs> robot. But the shape of the head. Also, I want to comment on the fin because these duels are completely decided if you knock off the fin of your opponent. It having a giant fin like that is kind of a taunt. Oh, for sure. I, I guess you could have said that about the other suits in the previous episodes as well. But if you have this giant fin that's super easy to knock off, then that's kind of a taunt. Like, hey, come get it. Also, he goes a little—he it goes a little super robot-y when he starts twirling that axe later in the episode. I'm oh, not yeah. inherently opposed to that. I just wanted to bring it up. No, it's, it's kind of great. hard to have a two-handed weapon and not have it go in the way of a super robot.
1: Movie. <laughs> no,
0: yeah.
2: absolutely. I um, I like both. I'm not, like, overwhelmingly
1: enthused about either. Like, the the Farrakh is, in my opinion, like, a cross between G Gundam's Master Gundam and Code Geass' is Shinkiro. Both Are you design... saying the Master Gundam because of the wing things in the back? The wing things and the color scheme, very similar. Yeah,
2: I'm thinking, uh, I don't like its color separation very well.
1: I don't like, I, I, I don't like I, either design. I already said on I'm design.
2: very indifferent on these suits. I don't particularly dislike any of the suits, but I don't particularly like any of them either. So it's the same with these, but I do like the element of the master Gundam wings, but I think they look so much better on the master Gundam because they have better color separation and you can visually see them a lot better. Whereas Mm -hmm. in this, like if you were to just look at the silhouette of the image that you added to the document, it doesn't really have that much uh, shape language. I think. Yeah. It's, it's a very lithe design, which I don't like too
1: much. I agree with you, uh, Tanuki, a statement you said earlier, you prefer the bulkier backs. And for me, the
2: same is true. I do think it's fitting that Elon pilots it though. Because if you take. If oh, you yeah. Need- There's definitely reason to design a suit to be more agile looking than a bulky thing. Because obviously, in this case, it was trying to show that Ghoul had absolutely zero chance of winning, right? Because he's having to fight an actual Gundam in this case, which I'm sure you were about to mention. And so it's showing him using this like bulky, you know, quote, outdated mobile suit versus this thing that's just leagues ahead of him, right? And to make it look more lean and more human-like would kind of make people subconsciously just assume it's more advanced than something that looks more blocky, right? So that's typically the design philosophy when it comes to making a robot look more robot-y or make it look more human-like.
1: Yeah. I also think it fits his personality too because like, you know, to pilot... Uh, the ferret correctly you have to keep your distance from other people Alan keeps his distance from other people It, it is it is engineered in order to snipe people from afar and i think that is purposefully telling
2: especially because you were even mentioning this earlier the suit that he pilots at the beginning of the episode super plain looking yeah and that sort of parallels his character at that time too because up to that point he hasn't really done or said anything to be relevant in the show so he's kind of just kind of been hiding on the sidelines up until now and then his big reveal like his big moment of striking is when he gets into a gundam and then it looks super advanced and crazy right mm. another reference i would
0: pull in is um i the fact very much gives me zone of the enders vibes the name yeah. Farak,
2: i was going know, to say that yeah similar
0: to pharaoh of course and of course you know egyptian stuff is all over the naming uh conventions in zone of the enders and two, I, I almost feel like it's been a hot minute since I've played Zen of the Enders, uh, one or two. Um, but the very much, I feel like uh, I could almost interchange uh, Permit and Metatron, The you know, the the sort of unobtaining resource in that setting. Uh, they very much feel like they, they could be, you know, very much related.
2: I think having magical made-up element is a pretty convenient MacGuffin in mech things in sure. general. Uh, you guys are probably going to get to it, so if you were going to anyway, just pin this question but wouldn't it be extremely daring for them to debut a Gundam in a duel knowing that the council is just going to immediately like vote to deconstruct it and excommunicate the pilot based on what happened with Suleta because Suleta showed up in a mobile suit that they were assuming was a Gundam and then they were going to expel her and dismantle the Ariel right until they did all of this negotiating, and they barely got out of that. So, how is Elon going to just win and then get by with it and not have the results of the duel?
0: So, uh, I, I mean, I, moot? I am likewise super curious to see. It. I hope this gets addressed in the next episode. I like, I it has really, to. it has to, right? Like, it really, really, really should because we have now in a duel dramatically revealed a Gundam. We know what happened last time that happened. The only thing I could point to. And say like this is different is that it is one of the three branches doing
2: it. And you So, w- so you think that Elon's like parents, I'm just going to keep calling them yeah. parents, right? Like, house it's house pale, right? Uh, so yeah, the co house. You're just assuming chairs. house yeah. pale has enough influence to just basically let them do whatever they want. I think so. I, I, I I'm I'm hoping they ride it a bit more creatively than that, because I think that would be a little lame. Uh because right. in the <laughs> in the Ariel's case, you know, it was debatably a Gundam. But in this case, it is 100% a Gundam, right? No doubt. Right. No debate about it. They didn't change the suit. They changed the person. What was that? They they didn't change the suit. They
0: changed the person.
2: Yeah. So they should be even more harsh on it this time. I hope they don't just sweep it under the rug.
1: Oh, they're all backstabbing each other. They're all working to this point. The end goal is to knock off Delling. And maybe they sense weakness in Delling. I mean, Suleta is still at the school, so maybe they sense that this is their time to strike. I mean, uh, uh, Lady Prospera's subordinate confirms that, you know,
2: Pale is starting to make its move. You figure, though, that if they were going to cheat, they would do something like how Gjul's father was trying to orchestrate the fight with the rain. Mm -hmm. Because it has to at least appear legitimate. So that way... The perception is that their authority is still legitimate. But if they just publicly, blatantly violate a rule like this, I don't understand how they're going to manage the PR afterwards. Yeah,
0: I, it's one of the things I'm most looking forward to in the next episode, I think, is, is how, yep. how this is responded to.
1: Well, I uh, will shout out real quick. Blue Delanza, pretty cool. Reminds me of some 0083 designs. I love my bulky mechs. Please and thank you. <laughs> so, as we're, we're nearing the end of the episode, the two face off a space battlefield
2: materializes before them. I have a question about that. The the battlefield they're on. Mm. So it shows the environment before it sort of loads in this space battlefield. Is it also materializing like physical things that they can interact with? Because it looks one way before it materializes in. And then once it materializes in, It actually looks as if the terrain is way different, like with craters and mountains and stuff. So you think it's like a full on VR environment? Because originally I was assuming that it would just simulate the like atmospheric and gravity conditions of whatever kind of environment they were trying to create. But it seems a little bit more involved than that. It might just be convenient. So that way they can just have them fight wherever and they don't put much thought into it. The riders, I mean, Mm -hmm. but never like actually explain how that's
1: working I don't think they explicitly explain it. My read is it's it's like the holodeck with the safeties turned off. Like if someone throws a chair at you, it, it's going to be a material object and it's going to hurt. But I have no like basis in the text. Like I have no support in the text to back me up on that. Just a feeling
2: I have. Because they were making it a point that the actual moon dust was an actual environmental factor. And I don't know if they already had moon dust laying around in there or if they had to like have it just fall from the sky real fast, mm-hmm. cover cover the place in it.
0: Yeah, it feels like a kind of a dangerous thing to have laying around your battlefield. Is yeah. this, is this dust that affects mobile suit operation? And I'm I almost expected that there would be some sort of scene like there was uh, with the um with you know with the the second Ghoul duel, which is you know that there was machinations that put that dust into place. And I don't think I don't think we got that right. I was it was just there.
2: Yeah, or I think ma- for now, I'm just going to assume it's a highly convenient thing that the writers can just have materialize yeah. in. even though the the ramifications of having a technology that can just load in mass and material would be pretty far reaching.
1: Or maybe the mobile suits simulate these environmental conditions within like the the computer indicates that this is taking place in That's space. What I was thinking and then the would make more sense
2: because that would make it a bit more of like an augmented reality type yeah Uh, arena which i think would be how i would ride it because you probably have to explain the least amount of things saying it's augmented reality right
1: true the duel begins both pilots keep their distance firing from afar tapping into his permit and thus revealing that the aferic is a gundam alan deploys his drones so there was another witch all along lady prospera remarks to alan's guardian Using the conductivity of the electromagnetic beams, Alan handedly defeats Ghoul. So Ghoul taking another L yet again. Hate to see it. Yeah, I, I really
2: legitimately hate to
1: see it as I'm growing very fond of Ghoul.
2: So were you going to talk about the moon dust and it's the static electricity? Because that seemed to be a, an important point on the fight, but I don't think I fully understood what was happening.
0: I think my my understanding was that the the in effect the the killing blow was that the presence of the dust somehow overworked right the because system he kept on kicking up vulnerable. the dust
2: and they were somehow creating static electricity in the dust. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not an expert when it comes to the physics of this, right? But it made it seem as if when the dust was like clinging, I think the static electricity made the dust cling to it, and because there was no atmosphere, like it just st- stayed on it. Because I think in an atmosphere, mm-hmm. you know, moving around the air it would just sort of fall off because of the wind but in on the moon with no atmosphere maybe only the static electricity would have it stick to things but I don't see why that would necessarily make it stop working because yeah
0: I don't I don't think this is necessarily too well explained I don't think the fight even
2: needed it because the main mm. thing was his weapon which was like an electromagnetic beam which would just turn off whatever he shoots and that was the first thing he hit him with, right? They were, like, talking about how, oh, he's building up the static electricity on the moon dust. How is that going to screw him over? And then he, and then the electromagnetic electromagnetic beam shoots near him, and then something turns off. And I thought that was going to have something to do with the dust, but it was actually the electromagnetic beam. So then, during the whole fight, I'm trying to think what was the whole point of the dust. And then that becomes relevant at the very end, because when he's rushing him down, the dust makes it shut off at the very end. Right. So they were... Juggling these two mechanics at the same time. I'm very much wondering how much of this might
0: be set up for the incoming Suleta ilan duel. I do wonder if we'll be revisiting these mm. mechanics shortly.
2: I'm thinking if they are trying to do world building with these mechanics, it would be to set up for actual real fights. Like if they do have a fight on the moon later, Duel mm, yeah, could maybe try to bait in an opponent to fall into the same trap that he did, right? Or maybe if they fight in the rain later. Because so far we've seen that, okay, rain messes up beam weaponry. If you get moon dust on you, it kind of messes you up. It's as if they're trying to teach the audience what to expect, like teach the audience what works and what doesn't work, so that way when we have actual fights later, they can just do these things without explaining it.
1: So my final note here before I officially wrap up the episode is, like I mentioned earlier, I'm really curious as to the relationship between Lady Prospera and this pale woman. Uh, she was not, as far as I'm as I remember or checked into in the prologue, so she is a new character introduced in episode five, and I'm curious about her relationship with Lady Prospera uh, on the evil meter. I'm very curious where she ranks. Same. Alan calls Suleta and now that Cool is defeated, officially challenges challenges her to a duel the stakes if he wins
2: the aerial will be his and you already know my thoughts on that point
0: for sure for sure no i, I definitely uh will will she agree to this will someone push back she better not <laughs>
2: that's all <laughs> i'm saying so, you know
0: <laughs> or she better extract something good from Milan that isn't just his
1: birthday yeah, mm, that's probably it <laughs> wow All right, my friends, any concluding thoughts about episode five? Like, how did you all feel?
2: I think my opinion on this episode is highly dependent upon what happens in the next few episodes, because like I said, if she does agree to the terms of giving up her Gundam, if she loses, that would make me automatically not like this episode. But if they somehow justify it or have her refuse or just creatively write it in some other way, then by proxy, it'll make this episode better. Plus, they did introduce a lot of uh, jargon with the permit levels, him warging into the Gundam aerial, not knowing exactly what Elon is, and all that. So it was a lot of questions that were posed. And like I said, the quality of this episode is going to be highly dependent upon how they answer these things later.
0: Yeah, I, I think this episode, you know, put my, my final points on it is that it's continuing to set up like a noose for for Delling or for you know the current uh, order of things, the current status quo. Uh, you know, as you said, Tanuki gave us some more more jargon, especially as it relates to the problem of the Gundam. You know, the advantages, how do you solve them? I really like that that they revealed you know that people were saying, well, what if we changed humans? You know, <laughs> what if we made humans accommodate the existing Gundam? Wouldn't wouldn't that be fun? Uh, and then also, you know, introduced us or characterized another one of these characters uh, that is being you know, taken advantage of in you know, a different set of circumstances. And so I think it is, uh, it, it is continuing to build upon the foundation. I, I'm happy with this. I feel, like the, I feel like the series is still on track, uh, which five episodes in, that's great news.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm a little less warm on this episode than a lot of my mutuals are online. I liked it. I feel like this episode was a lot of build-up, build but a little payoff. I'm not too taken with Elan, though, so this backstory, while interesting, I thought was pretty well telegraphed earlier. Not all of it, but some of it. So I'm curious where we go from here, and I want more ghoul, and I hope ghoul is not sacrificed at the altar um, so that other characters can soar. You mean
2: metaphorically or literally? Either. Okay, if he is going to die for real, I think it would be after his arc finishes. I don't. I, honestly, if I had to predict, if you made
1: me bet um, what will happen, I don't think Ghoul's going to die. I think Elan's going to be the one to kick it. If someone has to die out of these four characters, it's going to be Elan, I think. Why not both? May, may, why not both? He's <laughs> yeah, dying first, not? you mean, Elan. <laughs> you, Euphemia staggers into the machine gun. <laughs> Let's go. All right, Tanuki, give us your plugs before
2: we uh, officially wrap this up. Okay, thanks again for having me on, and my main plugs that I would advertise to the audience here would be my Gundam channel, Tanuki Type, in which I have been uploading individual episode reviews, kind of like what we did today, but it's just me and not nearly this long. And also, uh, talking about Gundam Evolution, like I did a video talking about the patch notes, and I'm probably going to make more follow-up videos when the game gets updated and the Twitch channel of the same name, Tanuki Type. I play a lot of fighting games and Gundam Evolution, like I said. And I also have some other links because I have some other YouTube channels and other miscellaneous things. So I will just include that in my link tree, which I will give to PMC and Stephen, and they will include that however they want.
0: Yeah, yeah. So of course, uh, if you want to check out uh, Tanuki stuff, please do check the show notes. Uh, you know, we'll be linking again to his, you know, his YouTube, his Twitch, the link tree. You'll be able to find all that stuff in the show notes, wherever you are, uh, you're, you're getting this, this podcast, which uh, at least initially uh, is going to be, you know, through, uh, through our Patreon, as this is one of our, our bonus podcasts, the Radio Free Mercury series that we're doing with our weekly coverage of Gundam, the Witch for Mercury. Uh, do want to make a few notes about that. Of course, uh, you know, if you are a patron, we do have. Uh, a patron-exclusive Discord. We're sharing memes, talking about various things, You know, looking at art and other things related to not only Wish for Mercury, but other shows that we cover. Um, our upcoming coverage, we are uh, currently in the middle of some Kukuru's Dones Island film coverage. We already obviously mentioned that towards the top of the podcast. Uh, just put up a discussion of that history episode. We're going to be working on a roundtable discussion with some other guests. So look forward to that if you want to hear more people talking about Kukuru's Dones Island. After that, we will be uh, diving into coverage of the first season of The Big O. That'll be on the main feed. Other good news, uh, if you really, really wanted to support us and you're interested in video games with Mecca, we have a, another tier called the Simulator Tier, $10 tier, where we, do, uh, we give coverage to Mecha video games that we give to Mecha Anime, uh, we've done the first three Armored Core games. We've done Zardion. Currently, working on a Front Mission history episode that we hope to debut around the time that the first Front Mission remake uh, releases, uh, hopefully soon, hopefully in the month of November. Uh, so, look forward to that if you're interested. I want to give credit to DwarfS uh, for the graphics that we use, and credit to Fretzel, hashtag
1: BandFretzel, for the music that we use. To wrap things up, to close things off, listener, what's your birthday?